Okay, ready? Okay. One, two, <laughs> three. three. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for waiting to cough after the <laughs> I hope I don't get this confused. Um, welcome to the Watching Film Podcast. I'm Dan. I'm TT. You want to go by TT for the whole, um, for all of our merchandising and yes. PR? I think so, because uh, like TT is very easy to find. Mm. And you know, we have I our mean, whole like limo business that's also going to be Dan and TT. <laughs> I mean, Tian Tian is not super hard to find either. A lot of people get the spelling wrong, actually. And you don't want to use this as an occasion to force um, hordes of fans to learn to spell your name properly. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, if Beyonce can get people to spell her name correctly, I don't see why. I don't see yeah. why there's any difference. She even has an accent, which like, try getting an American to use an accent, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. <laughs> Okay, so you you don't want to use like last names. You want to just be TT and Dan. I'm fine with either way. Um, I'm fine with either way too. I think that this raises an interesting question. So how mm -hmm. how um how Asian are we going to be on the podcast? Like how much is our Asianness part of the podcast? Because if we introduce last names, then it's like. It automatically places us in like a more Asian realm. Well, what do you think? What's your sort of comfort zone right now? Or what's, what are you kind of feeling right now? I like the intimacy of not having last names actually, but then I feel like, you know, it'll be like a, a amazing surprise for our listeners later on when they discover that we're Asian. <laughs> When we have our episode ranking our top five ramens. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, or I, I'm fine with that. Or we can just, we can see how we feel and we can change things as we go. I also think like the, the cinema podcast landscape and the NBA podcast landscape are like not very Asian. And so I think that could be like, a nice way that we would have an edge in the market you know what I mean mm -hmm. we should talk about that though because Asians love basketball so they they're do. like they invisibility in the I guess like the way that basketball fandom is thought about in the in is even I don't know I think really interesting so what I hear you saying is that we should immediately and aggressively announce the fact that we're Asian even before people know that the podcast is about basketball yeah. Like the first thing they should know is like Asians. Okay, great. What are they talking about? Basketball? Even better. <laughs> so, wait, so our listeners aren't Asian? Wait, what? No, they are. Are they? Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were saying that they're exclusively Asian. <laughs> um, so what have you been watching lately? 
I've been watching some Christmas specials, Dan. Mm, tell me more. I um, revisited a favorite Christmas special of mine, which is the Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, yes. And also the, have you seen Mickey's Christmas Carol? It's just like a half no. hour long retelling of the Charles Dickens classic, but starring Scrooge McDuck. Oh yes, there is a scene where he dives into a bathtub full of gold coins. Yeah, I mean, I think that's every Scrooge McDuck cartoon, but yes, that also oh, Okay, okay. So I don't know that one. I've definitely seen the Charlie Brown one at various points, but not recently. Um, what is so the- good. It's, um, I mean, the whole premise is that Charlie Brown is disillusioned and depressed during the holiday season. Yeah. And he's very disappointed mm. in the materialism of Snoopy, his mm. pet eagle, and also his yeah. little sister Sally. And he's trying to figure out like, what is the point of this holiday? What is the meaning of Christmas? And um, he, so he goes to Lucy, the therapist. She should be called like a life coach because she's not, yeah. I don't think that she has a, isn't that like the difference between a therapist and a life coach is. And in, in that they have no credentials whatsoever. Yeah, but now, I mean, now that I think about it, I guess like a lot of people probably would not want to admit that they go to a therapist but feel hmm. very empowered about going to a life coach. Hmm. Is that true? Anyway, I think she should rethink about it. Oh yeah, I mean, I feel like a seat for like a, you know, like your cliche of who a powerful CEO is. I think it would be very- um, Oh, right, right. A big right. difference to say, oh, I have a life coach versus right. a therapist. That's true. So I, I guess it, I feel like it depends on your social demographic, right? Because for example, I would be extremely embarrassed to admit that I have a life coach, but Why? it's like, are you serious? Yeah. Why? I mean, would I you would tell you, but just tell me more. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think it's like, um, like it's almost like um, a badge of social belonging to say that you have a therapist in like the circle that we move in, right? It's like weird if you don't have one. Are we going to be transparent about our professional identities on this podcast? I'm okay with it. Do you wanna talk about like what we feel comfortable talking about and not talking about? A little bit, yeah. Let's do it on this first recorded podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is just which, a dry run, Dad. Yeah, we, we don't have to release it unless it's a banger, in which case I'm gonna, I'm gonna insist that we release it because well, it's thinking content. We would, you know. we would like use some of the snippets, but I, I thought okay. that like the point of this is that it's a dry run, right? Yeah. And then yeah. We'll, we'll like talk again maybe later this week. I'm just kidding, Tantian. We don't have to release anything that one of us is a little bit uncomfortable with. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even getting paid for this. <laughs> I think that yes. um, I feel comfortable with everything. Pretty. I mean, that's like a lie. I feel not comfortable with a lot of stuff. I don't know why, <laughs> why my impulse was to say that. 
CT, I feel comfortable with everything, Chong. <laughs> no, please do not release my last name. <laughs> what about your top five ramens? Can we tell people that? Yes. Yeah, so you feel comfortable pretty much talking about everything. I feel comfortable talking about being Asian. I feel comfortable talking about... I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be the lead for our podcast, mm. but I feel comfortable saying that I'm an academic. Mm-hmm. I'm in grad school. Mm-hmm. I feel comfortable even, you know, like saying a little bit about my family eventually. Like I, you know, at some point I really want to ask you, even in the first episode, actually, as we're introducing each other, I thought it would be fun to ask, why do you love basketball? Why basketball and movies together? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that will be like a that will be a way that we introduce ourselves. You know, is by right. like talking about. I feel like a lot of that will come through in us. Yeah, providing the answers to that. Um, I was thinking that the way you described the Charlie Brown Christmas special, it sounds a lot like the um, sort of ethos of the Grinch movie. Okay, so I have to admit, I saw the Grinch also. Okay. This past week, but not the not the beloved classic animated version. I saw the new version that mm-hmm. was on, I think it was NBC with, what's his name, Matthew Modine. Oh, Grinch. not the Jim Carrey one? No, no. Oh, okay. Have you Wait. heard about this new one that was produced? I haven't, but why does Matthew Modine sound so familiar as a name? What else? He was on Glee. Yes, that guy, Finn, right? Or was it somebody else? Oh, Um, no. Oh, the the teacher? I didn't didn't watch Glee enough to to know, but I just know that he was on Glee. So have you you heard about this special? No, I haven't. All right. So I have to admit, I watched it because um, it was like universally reviled. Yeah. a terrible holiday special mm-hmm. so he makes some cho- like interesting theatrical choices to go very sexy with his portrayal of the Grinch mm. and then mm. the production itself has some um sort of like I don't want to say avant-garde because I don't think it is but very <laughs> um unaccountable creative decisions yeah and it's also like, it's like two hours long. It's really a long, or maybe it was only an hour, but it, it certainly felt like a two hour long production. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, I think that the Grinch is very different. All of this is just to conclude that the Grinch, I, I kind of see where you were going with when you compared the two, but very different from a Charlie Brown mm-hmm. Christmas in every way. Well, just in the sense of like, first of all, it's like a melancholy, there's like an affect of melancholy attached to Christmas and it's a sort of capitalist outsider or like an outsider whose outsiderness is like a critique of the capitalism of Christmas. That that was the only connection that I made. But then, but like the Grinch feels very different from like what I know of Charlie Brown, for example. And also the Grinch actually concludes I think this is true even for the animated special. Like it concludes with like the um, the triumphant return of capitalist materialism because the Grinch does like return all the presents and 
Right. Oh, wait, no, they fall off a cliff. <laughs> they fall off the cliff. Um, so it's a, an accidental return, but it's like a return. Because, like, okay, so Victoria watched The Grinch, and I just sort of, like, popped in the Jim Carrey one. Because I've, I've seen I like it, but I've seen it before, you know. And I was thinking, like, oh, this is that thing in, like, whenever you're in, like, a binary with like a moral valence, right? Like capitalism versus like heart and like humanity and love or whatever, right? So he steals all the gifts and then it turns out all the who's and who's and whatsies, they like get together and sing anyway. And he's like, oh my God, they don't need the presents. The presents are just an extra. And that it's like that sort of like bait and switch ruse where it's like or like walmart right they're like it's not about the goods it's about family but it's really about the goods right so like the movie couldn't actually end without the presence being returned because it's really about having the presence in the end but by making it an accident like they get to have their like cake and eat it too kind of thing right yeah interestingly that doesn't happen in charlie brown christmas sweet and really different about a charlie brown christmas but also a Charlie Brown Christmas is not secular the way that the Grinch is. So, you know, like mm. the, the really like heart melting part of Charlie Brown Christmas is Linus tells, um, you know, Linus tells the nativity story. And that oh. like, they come back to that as like the true meaning of Christmas. Okay. What Christmas is really about. And there's not, there's not like a gift economy that makes everything okay at the end. Oh, uh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Which raised like a really bizarre question for me while I was watching The Grinch, which is like, how does, how does this fit into, you know, the like the sacred Christmas story? And it's really interesting because they do, the holiday that they celebrate is Christmas. They could have called it anything else. Um, Toy Day, for example. Right. What is the story of how the Who's fit into all of that? Like, were there two Who's that also boarded Noah's Ark? <laughs> were there two Grinches that boarded Noah's Ark also? And then, you know, weirdly, there's only one Grinch, but it's unclear if it's like a Gollum situation where he like mm -hmm. previously was a Who who morphed into this. That sounds like a very plausible fan theory. Do you think, <laughs> is there like a corner of Reddit that's like really going ham on that? I don't wanna know. <laughs> so. Well, let me ask you Dan, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Jingle All the Way. <laughs> Please say more. Um, it's stupid. I mean, I think it was just, um, um, like, uh, like a private joke that I enjoyed privately for a long time, starting in college, maybe. Um, I think, I mean, I did enjoy the movie. I don't so Just know. as a reminder, Jingle All the Way is the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, right? Yeah. Uh-oh, you're frozen again. Okay. How can you tell? 
And I know you're frozen and not just thinking because you said schwar and then stopped. <laughs> okay. I'm glad your detective skills are coming through. Yeah, there was like there was like 30 seconds between Schwar and Senegar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, that um, wasn't frozen. That was how I said, that's how I say his name. <laughs> you need to take like a pee break. It's so long. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen that movie? I don't think I have actually. I think um, I knew better than to see it. Yeah. I mean, there's like whole scenes and like sequences that are sort of like imprinted on my brain. Because for a while I did watch it every year, but sort of, ironically um but this was like before irony was cool so <laughs> it was okay so like, how tell me as someone who hasn't seen it how significant is the nativity story <laughs> all the way? oh well i wonder um this may be a stretch but i wonder how close the nativity story is to um, like male anxiety around the like nuclear family diet. Oh, I wonder if we could make a case for that. Because the because the nativity story is about how paternity is uncertain, but that's okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, so can you actually remind me of the nativity story because I don't feel like I know all the details. Um, it's that the Virgin Mary and Joseph, um, oh gosh, I don't think that I can tell you the nativity story. <laughs> okay. Did you ever go to church? Yeah, I did. Yeah, me too. But I just, I actually feel the weight of my childhood religious experience inhibiting me from telling you the nativity story on a recorded podcast. I thought you were going to say you're feeling the weight of losing our Christian audience if you fuck this up. I know, that was what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, it's I like... I was also a religion minor in college. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, was that just sort of like working it out of your system kind of thing? <laughs> no, it was really interesting. Okay, which religions did you study? Um, so it was a minor... So yeah. a minor is only four classes. Yeah. But so I, four I, religions. <laughs> my my focus was on Judaism and Islam. Okay. Cool. I took a class on the Israeli um, Arab conflict. Yeah. So confusing. I um I understand nothing about that conflict today. So that would be like another thing that it would be bad for you to ask me on the podcast to explain. Is is that like related to related to the Israeli-Palestine conflict or is that yes. seen as a separate thing? No, I mean it's all like well, I mean it has roots. <laughs> <laughs> right after you said right that after, you did yes. <laughs> about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Well, hey, uh, between the two of us, only one of us has a minor in this. <laughs> okay, do you want to move on? Yes. 
Can okay. we get back to so, Jingle all the way? Well, hold on. We have to get back to the nativity story first. There's like a sequence here. So, um, so Mary shows up. She's like super pregnant, right? Yes. And she's like looking for a place to stay. And it's like, what, Christmas Eve? Yes. Well, because okay. it's, only, it's only Christmas Eve because of the events of the story. Right. So it's she's not, not like... Eve before the story. She's not like, tomorrow's a big day. I need to like get this baby out. Because <laughs> everyone's going to be like at home tomorrow baking cookies. Right. Like all the stores are going to be, you know, closed. And right. if you're out of wrapping paper. Yeah, that's it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she shows up and then she basically like gives birth. And do they immediately know that it's the son of God or like how do they know? Yes. Well, she, she's a virgin or, you know, right. like the, the conceit of the story is that it's a virgin birth. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> well, we were talking the other day on chat about how like so many Christmas movies are about like, put like the, the um, paterfamilias's anxiety, like, so in Jingle All the Way, like there's a kid, the, there's always a kid. The kid is, I want to say always a boy. And the kid is always like eight to 10 years old. Mm -hmm. The parents are like divorced and the mom has a new boyfriend who does not have the vitality or just like sheer mysterious, um, like life essence as the lead, <laughs> say, say Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so, right, and then so then Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, oh no, I've been totally replaced and emasculated by this beta male. Um, clearly, these muscles are doing me no good. What I really need to do is to acquire this highly sought after commodity that no one else can get their hands on. And I feel like this was a time in culture where every year there was like a sold out toy. Yes, which... this was the era of Tickle Me Elmo. Yep, and like Furbies, I think. Yes. Um, it was almost like every year people collected, collectively decided to, to like produce the scarcity that would in turn give them the excitement of the chase. You yes. know, like people really wanted that. And like all companies had to do was to give them like some options and hopefully like theirs would become it. Yes. Um, now that I think of it, like we still have that. I mean, it's like the PS5 this year. Yeah, right? it was the Switch the year before and the Switch right. at the start of the pandemic too. Right. Yeah, so he's like, oh, if I just get um, and by the way, like, this is the plot of the Santa Claus too, right? Like Tim Allen is replaced mm. by another guy. And in order to like, get back into his son's good graces, you know, he could just like, be a good enough father, but no, he, that's not good enough. He has to like, become Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just like, you know, showing up on time for little league practice or whatever, which seems like it would be a slightly easier solution. Uh, but no. It's sort of a, you know, I, w I wonder, Dan, because you think about and write about romantic comedy. 
to what extent you see that as like related to the cinematic trope in rom-coms about how, um, you know, it's not an, it's not enough to learn how to be a good boyfriend. You have to do a mm. ridiculous romantic gesture. Whereas mm -hmm. if you had just been a good boyfriend all along, mm -hmm. the, the huge romantic gesture where you're running through the airport mm -hmm. or, you know, you're like, um, I don't know, becoming like prime minister or something in the case of um, Love Actually mm -hmm. or, or whatever, whatever the gesture is, you know, it escalates to that level instead of just being the good version instead of the mediocre version of your role. Yeah, the abandonment is key, right? Like it's really important that um, each of these men fails in some way. Um, yeah. In an, in an apparently irrevocable way. that sort of makes sense in a like like it's like in life it's much harder to just show up and continue to be adequate you know like at least if you like totally offend somebody or like like cut them out completely you get to like preserve um I don't know, like even seeing yourself as the villain, you still have a role in that person's life as opposed to like, oh, I just like did this thing, like you didn't like this thing. So let me just like adjust this thing and then it'll be better. Like somehow the drama lets you retain. But, like there's something about like making yourself a villain in a situation that like allows you to retain something that like just acknowledging that like oh I like just messed up a thing it was nobody's fault let me and then and then adjusting doesn't allow you to retain you know I mean I wonder I wonder what that is like if like let's say you're a dad and you're like pretty irresponsible and you like are late to a couple of pickups just saying like, oh, I was late to a couple of pickups. Let me like stop doing that. As opposed to being like, I'm a terrible father. Like there, why is that a more attractive route and like allows you to preserve like the integrity of your ego or your sense of yourself or something versus just being like, oh yeah, I was late a couple of times. I should stop doing that. Right. Or why sort of like not kind of allow your family to to move on because the structure actually in the household wasn't good before instead of being mm -hmm. like oh i'm i'm gonna dress up as a, a female housekeeper <laughs> going to reinsert myself into the family yes. through yes. the guise of being an elderly yeah. woman mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that i think that you just made the connection to rom-coms right which is like the fantasy in rom-coms is not the fantasy of like perfect love or like that people can be together forever. The fantasy is that romantic love is associated with your agency as opposed to the other mm -hmm. person's agency, right? Like in, in that situation that you just described really beautifully, the family situation, it's like, if the family wants you back in, they'll let you know, right? <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Like if yeah. you if you did the stuff to like get out of it and like the like mom or whoever is the one doing the work of praising the kid, like they'll let you know, right? Um, but like by becoming Santa Claus, then it's like the integration is directly a result of like your own agency. And it's the same with like the endings of rom-coms and stuff. That's beautiful, yeah. I think also because you see so much that so many, what's that, is it Tolstoy or Dostoevsky? Someone who says um, every, we'll, we'll edit this so that I sound more academic, but <laughs> <laughs> every unhappy family is unique in its own way. Like yes. all the happy families yes. are similar, but every unhappy right. family is unique in its own way. Yes. And so um, the fact that so many of these Christmas movies actually are about unhappy families, the same way that mm. actually a lot of rom-coms are not about the perfect couple, the remarriage mm -hmm. comedy is that whole classic genre of the remarriage comedy is about actually a couple that's probably not good together or that has really struggled to be together. And mm -hmm. the fantasy is that this unhappy structure can actually work. Oh, interesting that the unhappy family structure can actually work. Yes. Even when the movie ends with an integration of the original family, as say in the at the end of Jingle All the Way, mm -hmm. or I guess like the um, It's a Wonderful Life is so much about that too. Like in a way, mm -hmm. It's a Wonderful Life is also a Scrooge story. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's actually about really not finding satisfaction in your family structure, and yet like being convinced that actually this this familial structure that really isn't working for me and for a lot of other people I could be I could be made to see how it is the best of all possible worlds yeah I mean Christmas is so much like the holiday of the family you know which is so crazy because like in Canada we actually have a family day I don't know if you have that wow. in the states I don't think so no that's one of the most Canadian things I've ever heard of. I know, but it totally misses the fact that we already have a family day, right? Which is like Christmas is so much the holiday. Like it would be impossible to think Christmas without the ideology of the family, right? And like, that's why I was thinking. And like, so that's why I feel like the God thing is a little bit of like a, um, like a decoy, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> so, sorry, I, I, I just want to- I just our Christian audience. <laughs> again all right i'll i'll cancel all our like merch orders that had like quotes from the bible under the watching film logo mm. i feel like we're not going to sell any of those <laughs> um but you know like the nativity scene like it, i think it's told as like it's the birth of jesus it's like the return of the lord and stuff but it is such a like little fractured scene about the family you know uh, it's yeah. like specifically the like what Lauren Berlant calls the mommy daddy me triangle of like psychoanalysis, right? Do you think um, that all happy basketball teams are alike, but all unhappy basketball teams are unhappy in their own way? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I think that um, all happy basketball teams are happy because they're structurally um, healthy mm -hmm. and all unhappy basketball teams 
they're, they are structurally unhealthy, but I think also on unhappy basketball teams, it's really personal. Mm. I think that's what makes a basketball team really unhappy. Is when so, it's I have a mm. so I have a follow-up question for you. Do you think the Lakers currently are a happy basketball team? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I want to reserve judgment because it's so early in the season. What do you think? It's, so that's the thing, right? Because like they just won a championship. Yes. They're still looking like the undisputed like best team in the league. Yes. But they don't seem like a happy basketball team to me. You know, I mean, like Milwaukee seems like a happy basketball team to me, even though they're like really struggling. Like, actually, you know what the Lakers make me think of right now? They're kind of like a super hot startup where like everyone individually is happy because like so much success is rolling in, mm -hmm. but it's like only sustainable as long as the success is rolling in. And as soon as the success stops rolling in, there are infrastructural relationship things that have never been worked out that have been like papered over by the like momentum of their success. So I actually wouldn't say that they're a happy basketball team. Yeah. I think it's hard to say also because it feels like they're still recovering from the trauma of, um, you know, Kobe Bryant's death. And even on the championship yeah. ring, do you remember there was like the hidden sort of like tribute to Kobe, mm -hmm. the, the ring that they received? Yeah. But that's got to, I mean, they have to feel that individually in different ways, right? Like, I mean, I'm thinking young players who just joined the Lakers like sure maybe you feel the weight of like being a laker and stuff but i it, you know it's not like most like like different players across the nba have some kind of like symbolic association with kobe but i don't know that like just being on the lakers like lebron maybe because they were like probably friends but i don't know about other, like i don't i don't know like it feels more like almost like a pr integrated identity thing like the lakers mourn kobe right i don't know how much of that is an actual thing that they all feel that bonds them and how much of it is like a where the lakers this is part of our identity kind of thing you know yeah did we just lose all our kobe fans no no <laughs> <laughs> You haven't lost this Kobe fan, Dan. Just, just kidding. I'm not a Kobe. Fan. Are you a Kobe fan, Tian Tian? No, I'm not. <laughs> so I, you know, I actually grew up um, meeting Kobe. That was the, that was so much a part of the being a Utah Jazz fan. Mm. Oh, did they have a rivalry? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that Kobe had a rivalry with most non-Laker teams. Right. Yeah. Right. We should have well, an effective check-in. Yeah, what a great idea. What would that look like for us? Um, I think however you want it to look, because it's your effective check-in, right? So you can you get to talk about whatever you want. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? Okay. Um I'm I'm feeling like much more like 
at ease and confident than I was at the beginning. I was like nervous about like, oh no, what if we don't have things to talk about? Or like, oh no, what if I succumb to the pressure of feeling like there's an audience listening and you know, there's no flow or whatever. But now I'm like not really worried anymore. Like I think we're always gonna find things to talk about. Um, I know, there, our- um, this is gonna sound really cheesy, but I feel, I feel inspired to go write something or to like, you know, work on other work actually after the session. I'm feeling really good. I'm also in the corner of my mind, I'm thinking about something that you said about Christmas being the family day and Christmas being, you know, like even within the nativity story, this idea of a broken family coming back together being I guess so much the seed of that story. And I'm thinking about, you know, how we actually both of us come from a, or our families come from traditions where that's not the meaning of Christmas culturally, and that's not how it's celebrated. So um, I'm thinking about how in Asia, you know, Christmas in most Asian countries, Christmas is a secular holiday, but it's also really a romantic holiday. Like it's sort of the closest similarity I can think of to American holidays is that Christmas um, in a lot of Asian countries is kind of like Valentine's Day here. So it's really like- Is it really? Yeah, it's really like the day where couples- No way. You see that in the um, Wong Kar Wai movie 2046, for example. Yeah. In Hong Kong, especially, like Christmas is really a time, you know, um, New Year's, like New Year's, Chinese New Year is really much more what Christmas is like, what Christmas is like here. So New Year is really like the family Mm. holiday, right? really the biggest holiday of the year. It's really the day that's about children and um, about even gift exchange is New Year's Day is when that happened mm-hmm. much more. And in, in Hong yeah. Kong, especially, you know, um, Christmas is much more of like a Valentine's Day. Like it's when couples come together mm-hmm. and it's when couples go on mm-hmm. romantic getaways together. Mm-hmm. So that's just, you know- a That makes a lot that, of sense. That holiday is very different. I was thinking about this though. I was thinking, you know, in this week that we have left between Christmas and New Year's, I was looking at sort of some of the Hallmark Channel Um, possibilities that I could see and the Hallmark Channel is really this place where the movies are so much about like romantic coupling and not about family Mm -hmm. actually and I I don't know what to make of that Mm -hmm. but even if you look at the title on Hulu the titles possibilities that I could see are in love by Christmas in as in I-N-N so I don't know maybe we get a little bit of the nature (laughs) there there's this one called His and Her Christmas. <laughs> There's one called A Cinderella Christmas, one called Married by Christmas. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think there is this alternate tradition about Christmas being a romantic holiday. Um, yeah. at, least in, at least in some corners of right. <laughs> American media. Right. That was just what I I was mean, I, I would still watch one with you if you wanted to watch one. Let's do it. Mary I don't know if the, the, it feels like the, I, I was going to say, I don't know if you, you feel like the ship on the holiday season has sailed. When else are we going to watch for you? I mean, like if, 
Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we could watch that. Um, or we, we could watch like Tenet. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm so disappointed <laughs> to not be able to see Tenet with a good sound system. I know. I know. I know. But also, know. like, all of the reviews uh, are about how, like, Christopher Nolan has his head up his own ass because you can't hear any of the dialogue. Yeah. Who was, who was that also true of? There were other, there was like another director or something where like it was almost the signature that you couldn't make at any of the dialogue. I feel like that's a Robert Altman? Thing. Really? Are you comparing Robert Altman hmm. to Christopher Nolan? No, I, I don't think I'm thinking of Robert Altman, but I don't know who I'm thinking of. Maybe, well, I'm, maybe that, I'm just making he, it up. He got that criticism for um, Dunkirk so much too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it was deliberately mixed so that the mm -hmm. dialogue was really incoherent. Right. Right. Dunkirk, the rondo of movies. <laughs> Say more. This, we already had this conversation. <laughs> I don't remember why rondo. Because when he looks at the floor, he doesn't see individual players or bodies. All he sees is geometric shapes and converging planes and angles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thanks for joining us on the Watching Film Podcast. This was so fun, Dan. Thank you.